according to the systems of this world, we would describe it as suffering. And many times in my Sunday messages, I preach about the grace of God from the perspective of how God or what God has done for us in Jesus and so forth. But today I want to encourage people that are going through difficult times. And I want to show to you that you are not the only person that goes through difficult times. And I want to look especially at the early church, the Apostle Paul and what he went through, things that seem to be unfair, things that seem to be simply just unjust, but it happened to him. And I want to talk about how he handled that. And I trust that this would encourage you in times when you go through difficult times, in times where you feel maybe you don't have money or things happen to you that is just simply unfair or unjust or not supposed to be, uh, you know, like that. Many times when we look at our country, we might say, well, the judges, the way they do things, the way politicians do things, the way they handle things is just simply unfair. And we live in a world where things are simply not right. We find that from both spectrums or in South Africa, not just both different spectrums of the political uh, arena. So I want to start off by just explaining to you what happened to Paul in Acts 24. Now, Paul was preaching in different areas in what would be called the ends of the world in that time. And one of the places would be uh, Corinth. And he was preaching in Corinth. And the people in Corinth, they were really blessed by Paul's message. And as he preached the gospel, that which God gave so that we can share in the quality of God's life, it had generosity as a result. And they've made a promise that they want to give money to the poor churches that were in Jerusalem. Now, there was also a prophet that prophesied that there's hard times coming and that there will be a drought in Jerusalem. And when they heard about this drought coming and this drought starting, they said, well, you know, the gospel came from Jerusalem to us and we feel generous. Let us give to the poor churches. And Paul was very blessed by their generosity and they would then obviously work and save up some money and Paul would then come and collect that later, or they would send it to Paul wherever he would be on his missionary trips. He then traveled to Macedonia, and as he was in Macedonia, the people in Macedonia heard about the generosity that, the, uh, that took place or that was birthed into the hearts of the churches in Corinth. And that just sparked something in them. And this, the grace of God also had its effect on the poor churches now in Macedonia. So you found a rich church and a poor church. Now, it might be that you that are listening to me today are part of a rich church, or you might be part of a poor church. So we found poor churches, <laughs> poor, uh, financially poor people in the church. And that was not seen as a sin. That was not seen as a disgrace at all. There are rich people and there are poor people in this world. But we have been taught uh, traditionally and the way that I grew up in the charismatic Pentecostal church that all the Christians must be stinking rich. But here we find in the Bible that there were poor churches in Macedonia and they were flooded with the fruit of the Holy Spirit. And they then um, gathered right there. They didn't wait and save up. They just from what they had and what they didn't even have. I think they even went and borrowed 
uh, if you want to take it like that, you can go and read about this in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. And they, the grace of God just came over them and they took of what they had and of what they didn't even have, the Bible says, and they begged the apostles to take their gift. Uh, and then Paul and them received this gift, you know, with difficulty. And then they went to Corinth and collected the gift there. And then Paul went, was on his way to Jerusalem to go and give to the poor churches. Amazingly, if you go and read in Acts, and this is shocking for a lot of us, that he even brought offerings in the temple, which today would be a complete taboo in the church. Uh, he, he did that. And on his way to Jerusalem, people warned him and said, you're going to be locked up and those kind of things. But Paul felt that he wanted to go to Jerusalem. He wanted to go and bless the church and love on people. Also, he had this money with him. And I mean, he, he couldn't now say, well, no, the Holy Spirit led me not to go to Jerusalem because there's danger there. What about the money? Uh, the message would have gone out about him that he stole all the offering. So there were different reasons, I believe, that was in the heart of Paul. And as I studied this in Acts, I felt that I would have done the same and continued, even if people warned me that I would go into difficult times. Paul, when he was then in Acts, now listen, to, uh, not in Acts, in Jerusalem, listen to this, went to the temple. He went through all the ceremonies that he had to go through in order to be uh, ceremonially pure to enter into the temple. Uh, he entered into the temple, and when they saw him there, they said, ah, isn't this the guy that made trouble in other places, you know, where there were synagogues, and teaching the Jews not to follow off the customs of Moses. Now, if you strictly look at Paul's writings, that he wasn't teaching Jews not to follow off the customs of Moses. He was telling them that, um, that the, the, he was telling the Gentiles not to follow after the customs of Moses. And then he basically said that there is a better way unto salvation than the customs of Moses and that it wasn't necessary for the Gentiles. And he also implied that it wasn't necessary for the Jews. But he didn't go to the synagogues and tell the people that you're busy with rubbish or any of those kind of things. You can go and read that in Acts. And here they then saw him. They were very upset about what Paul did. Now, there were many of those people that had political reasons on why they didn't want Paul to preach. The Pharisees didn't want him to preach what he preached uh, because they, they wanted to gain followers from the Gentiles into their sect where the Gentiles would now become Pharisees and Jews. And then also to a certain degree, the Herodians didn't want that because they also want followers for their political party, the Herodian political party. So there were politics involved in this whole thing, not pure motives. The Sadducees hated what Paul preached, you know, and because he preached the resurrection and they didn't believe in a bodily resurrection. So there were a lot of people that hated Paul. Paul comes into the temple in Jerusalem, they catch him. They put him in jail. They wanted to kill him, but then something happened. They couldn't kill him, and he was then put in jail. He then appears in front of Felix, and this is where we're going to um, pick this up. He appears in front of Felix. They bring false accusations against Paul. Now, first of all, just imagine you get a false accusation and now you're going to be, and you now sit in jail. False. 100% false. 
You were pure in what you did. You've got money that you want to give even to people that hate you. You want to love on the church. You come ceremonially clean. You've, your side is absolutely clean. You are willing to die in love for people. And then those people lie about you and lock you up in jail. You cannot see your friends. If you had a family, physical family, your business is now gone. You're now sitting in jail. All about lies. It's just lies. This happened to our beloved Paul. It happened to him. This is what the guy went through. Now, that's still nothing. <laughs> As he was there and he was standing in his defense, um, he gave his defense and then Felix said that he would uh, basically give judgment. He says, I will decide your case. And this is in verse 22. He says, I will decide your case. And then to make a long story short, he doesn't give judgment for two years. Okay, imagine you go. The hearing was there. You stated your case. They couldn't prove anything. Now the judge must tell you guilty or not guilty. And after two years, he has still not said anything. Now that just doesn't sound right. That is unfair, unjust, wrong. Here we see, if we read from verse 24, and let me read it. He says, several days later, Felix came with his wife, Jerusalem, who was a Jew. He sent for Paul and listened to him as he spoke about faith and Jesus Christ, and as he spoke about righteousness and self-control and judgment and all those things. And Felix then got afraid and he said, I've had enough of this for now. You may leave. And when I find, and listen to this, um, when I find it convenient, I will send for you. In other words, when I'm going to make my judgment and it's convenient for me, I will send for you. He said, at the same time, he was hoping that Paul would offer him a bribe. So he sent for him frequently and talked with him. So here this guy frequently sent for Paul, speak to Paul. Obviously, they would have some jokes and laugh about certain things and talk again about the gospel. And his wife, I, could, I would guess, would be there as well, uh, speaking about the Jewish things and, and all of that. He couldn't find anything against Paul and knew that Paul wasn't a threat. He says, when two years had passed, Felix was succeeded by Festus. But because Felix wanted to grant a favor to the Jews, he left Paul in prison. So after two years, a new governor comes, and then the new governor knew that the Jews loved for Paul to be in jail. He didn't give any judgment on guilty or not guilty, just left him there. And the new guy also just leaves him there, in jail. I mean, that doesn't sound very nice. Now, with that in mind, let us go to uh, Philippians. This is a Christian. This is somebody who loves God. And look at what he's going through. Now, I want and I, and I to encourage people that are going through difficult times. You might hear that I'm saying, listen, man, if you're a Christian, just expect bad things. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is, if you are a Christian and bad things happen to you, don't let that be a voice to you, and keep your eyes on Jesus Christ. That is what I'm saying. And what I'm also saying is that these things 
can happen to Christians. We, li- we live in this world and we have still not attained unto the full manifestation of the glory that is in heaven inside these earthen vessels. We have still not seen that. So we can find that there are certain things that can happen to us in this world which sometimes will not be just, but there's something that is great enough and powerful enough that can bring sanity to our minds and joy to our minds in the midst of difficult times. Now, this is not a a message that you're going to hear from most pulpits uh, on this Sunday because we we want to be encouraged by the hope that we're going to have that new car, we're going to have that breakthrough, we're going to have our kids always prosper and everything, we're going to have divine health, our political party is going to win all the time, and then the right judges will always be in place, and all judgments that that is found in the courts of law will always be 100% just, everything is just going to go fine. And then we believe that Jesus is going to give us those things today. In a lot of churches, that's the way it is seen. And then that is where we have our peace. The assurance that the undying, glorified Jesus will make things always work out for me in this world. But we find here that it did work out for Paul. If we look back at what happened, the difficult times he went through, the time he spent writing, the sufferings of Jesus that was in his body, how he explained all those things, the robustness of the gospel where we could see how uh, the, the life of Jesus could not be choked out of the man. Although there was a time when he wrote in First uh, Corinthians when he says that we were despaired of life itself to the point that we could only believe in the one that raises the dead. It was basically saying we were so desperate. We were in such a place that we could only believe in the one that raises the dead. Okay, now um, I just want to show to you that this, this is some of the things that happened to Paul. Let's go and look at Philippians. I'm going to go to Philippians chapter 4. And I'm going to read from verse 11. Let's read from verse 10. He says, I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. What Paul is basically alluding to here is them giving money to Paul. And he says, man, I'm so glad that you give me, gave me some money <laughs> because I was really going through a difficult times. So we find here that there was provision for Paul as well. We find here, man, he's provided for. And he was cared for through these people. But listen to his attitude. He says, I know you wanted to give to me, but you didn't have the opportunity. You know, back then, you couldn't just uh, quickly do a transfer. You needed somebody that was willing to take the money from one town to the other town. And the robbers knew that. They knew if people travel, they've got money on them because they can't keep it in a bank card. So whatever you're going to spend on the other side there, you carry with you in money belts and so forth, trying to hide it on your body somewhere in the, on the horse or somewhere you try to hide money. And the robbers knew that. So this was a, you needed an opportunity to send money to someone else. You couldn't just send. Say, Lord Jesus, thank you that I'm born, you know, in these days. Okay, then it goes on and it says, um, Paul says, not that I'm saying this because I'm in need or in want or that I expect that you must give me something, for I have learned to be content with whatsoever my circumstances are. I know that it 
I know what it is to be in need and I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secrets of being content in any and every situation, whether I'm being fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all things through him who gives me the strength. Okay, so what do we find here? We find an apostle that is in jail, basically illegally. We find people that follow political agendas and just keep people in jail to do the Jews a favor. We find a guy that doesn't give judgment on a case for more than two years and keep the guy in jail hoping to get a bribe from him. We find that Paul at times didn't even have money. But listen to what he says. He says, I have learned to be content. I've come. Uh, the Bible says you need, you've got the Holy Spirit and you need no one to teach you. That learning there talks about the fruit that the Spirit of God or the robust life of God can bring forth in you. The Apostle Paul says here that I have learned that if I have or if I don't have, Therewith I will be content. Content means I see no need to have anything added unto me. That is not a way of thinking. Paul, in the depth of his heart, from the depth of his being, saw no need that anything should be added unto him. Now I want to say this to you, and I say this uh, from the power of testimony. Helena and I can testify of this power. When we lived in Pochestrum, and uh, we, we, there were times when we just had nothing. We now look back at those times and see that we had nothing. But when we were there, we saw no need that anybody add anything unto us. We felt that we have more than enough. We were even giving. And this is what this message brings. When you realize that you have eternal life, and that belongs to you bodily. The feeling that a person has that lives forever, that knows that I need nothing to be added to me, to give life to me, will already be in you because you are already having the first fruit of that eternal life. Contentment is never a decision. You cannot decide to be content. Contentment is something that you learn, and that learn is a Holy Spirit experiential knowledge that comes forth in you by the enablement of God through the power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. This is what Paul says. He says, you know, now that you did give, now that you gave to me, I'm very blessed because now I have more things to do, any, to do more things. But when I didn't have that, I didn't see any need that anything should be added to me. Now, you might say, but Bertie, that is not the very good way. I, I don't wish for that life. Listen, you, if you wish for it or not, that is what you're going to have. Because that is the life God has. That's God's life. God sees no need that anything should be added unto him for him to be happy. And that is the life that we as Christians get for free. It is a gift. What a wonderful life. Do you know that if you are poor... And today's focus is on people that are going through difficult times financially, the poor. If you are a poor person and you have this gift or this fruit in your life, do you know that you will not be able to be manipulated by a political party that promises you heaven and earth? 
because you're already content, you're already happy. You cannot even see your own poverty. You are blind to it. You believe, you will believe and feel rich even if you live in a shack. You will not be able to be controlled by angry politicians. You will not be the puppets of politicians. That is one of the robust things that you will have as this fruit is in you. Should you be rich, let's take it to the other side, although this is not the focus of the message. Should you be financially rich and you have this, you will, you will say, well, um, I am not controlled by the econ ec uh, economy of the country. If it is that everything should fall apart tomorrow, I cannot be controlled by that. You will also not be controlled by politicians and by the circumstances of this world. And your mind will not be flooded with the fears of this world because you have known how to be rich and how to be poor and how to be content in those times. I find that if you want a church um, that, and, and if I look at the history that I came through in church, what you need to have a church where, where people give a lot of money, one of the things that you need is people that believe they are poor and even poor people. <laughs> If a guy's rich but he believes he's poor or he is even poor and he sees his poverty, it's in his mind, you will be able to manipulate those people and get a lot of money out of those people. I've, I've seen those churches. I've not really been in churches like that, but I've seen those churches on television and I've seen how it works. You cannot manipulate people to get money out of them unless they believe they are poor. They need to have a lust for more in order to get them to give out of their poverty by you promising them and making even promises to them that God has never made to them. And then you promise them from scriptures in the Bible. And these people will then be manipulated and controlled. We've just now had a case in South Africa where one, one of these prophets that has millions of followers, just in South Africa, 3.5 million people following him and watching his messages on a Sunday. They all give money to him, calling him man of God. That guy um, was then, court cases was opened against him and he jumped ship, if you want to call it like that. He, he went to another country, back, went back to his own home, home country when he was out on bail. Broke his bail, is now there. All about money and the poorest of the poor following this person. So I want to say this to you. If you could understand and you could have a life born from the robustness of the gospel and of the life of Jesus, which is contentment, you would not be able to be manipulated by people like that. You'll be free. You will not live a life where you feel I am just a nothing in the country. You, as a poor person, would not look at rich people and feel injustice is being done to you. You will just feel, I'm happy. Glory to you. will just be happy. You will not even see the riches of other people. You'll just be happy. Isn't that what we want? That is what we want. We want that. And this is what the Apostle Paul says here. I want to go to uh, 1 Thessalonians 4. You know, as I preach this, <laughs> I even feel in my own life 
It's almost like, you know, when you walk in this world, your feet might get dirty. Your hands is already clean. You are already clean except for your feet. Your feet need some washing because you're always in the dust of this world. As I preach this, I can feel how the Lord washes my feet. You know, getting just a little bit of any form of dust of this world off me. Glory to God. First Thessalonians 4, and I'm going to read from verse 10. It says, And in fact, you do love all God's family throughout Macedonia. Yet we urge you, brothers and sisters, to do so more and more and to make it your ambition to live a quiet or a simple life. You should mind your own business and work with your own hands just as we told you so that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders and so that you will not be dependent on anybody. Look at what he says here. He says, listen, guys, I wanted, I wanted to make this your ambition. What he's basically saying is, see that this is what the gospel will bring forth in you, wherein you are a person that just lives a simple life. You work and then the outsiders can look at you and say, listen, man, look at this Christian. We see the fruit of God in him. He's content. He works what he gets. He's so happy with. He's blessed even with what he has that he worked with his hands. We don't find the idea here of great enterprises and businesses and those kind of things. We get the feeling of just normal folk. So I want to say to you, if you are in the category of just normal folk, there's nothing wrong with you. There's absolutely nothing wrong with you. You're not missing out on anything. The, as a matter of fact, should you be able to have contentment, you are sharing in the quality of God's life and you lack absolutely nothing. You might say, but Bafti, you know, it's easy for you to say. Well, this that I'm teaching you now, I have said for many, many years. And there are some of you that has known me for 20, 20 years. You know where I've been. You know what, you know what God has put in, in my heart and in Elena's heart through this gospel. This gospel. Glory to God. I'm not preaching poverty here. I'm preaching the wealth of Christianity. How wealthy we as Christians are. We are so wealthy. We've got something money cannot buy. It's called contentment. Through contentment, we have joy. We have peace. We have kindness in the midst of all those things. We as Christians, even, even if we go through difficult times, we're not a burden on the government, man. We're not a burden on the government. If you're a Christian and you are a poor Christian and you have contentment, poor financial, you have contentment. Do you know what? You're a blessing to the outsider because he doesn't see a person that's all the time complaining, saying that the government owes me this, the government owes me that, the government owes me that. You just say, listen, man, I work with my hands and I'm thankful for what I receive every day. And we will still read that scripture where it says, and with food and clothes therewith, we are content on account of the power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ in me. And I live the simple life and have favor with all people. 
But Patty, that doesn't sound like real good news. That's very good news in a world where things don't always go the way we think. It's very good news because you know, you know, if I think of my kids, if I could have a survival pack for them and inside that survival pack, they can have something like this. I can send them into the world with this. I can, they can have contentment and that they will have joy even if they just have food and clothes. I know that their children will be raised in a happy family. <laughs> and I don't have to try and stress out all the time on are they doing the right business decision? Are they doing all these things right? No, I will know that my kids are will my kids and my grandkids will be they will have a happy family. They'll have a happy marriage. Because it's not about the things of this world. It is inside that survival pack I want I would want for them to have simplicity of life. I would want for them to have contentment born from the Holy Spirit. I would want for them to have that which the Apostle Paul had, that when something happened to them that was unjust, that they could in jail still sing a song. Those are the kind of things that you, if you want to call it this way, wish upon your children and you want to provide for them in their survival pack for this life. And that is what God has provided us with in Jesus and we're going to look at how this takes place as well, how it manifests. I want to go to another passage quickly. Um, let us go to Acts 2, verses 46. And we're just going to read how the early church lived. You know, as I, as I go to this page, I think of some of my friends uh, that went through very difficult times. And where injustices came their way through courts, law systems, and all those kind of things. And how they, I could see that some of those times was difficult for them. But I could also see how this one friend of mine, so was going through, as he was going through these very difficult times, him and his wife, how they continued to believe in Jesus. And how Jesus continued to strengthen them in those most, most, most unimaginable difficult times. And those, he is one of the people that encourages, encourages me most. When I see how in those most difficult times, he says, I can never deny God. I can never say, God, where are you? I can never say those things because I know God is with me. He lives inside me. These are difficult times, but thank God for his grace. Thank God that he works in me. On the other side, I have a, a, a friend that is a financially a, a wealthy man. And when the COVID came, there was an outbreak on his farm of the COVID. And man, I don't know the numbers, but it looks as if a very high percentage, let, I don't want to say all, but a very high percentage of the people got COVID. And what did these people do? Yes, it was difficult times that wanted to push in on them and in their minds, but what did they do? They just believed in Jesus. Their identity was in Christ. And they could walk through very difficult times. 
So here we find the same thing with the apostles. They just said, we, le- we believe in Jesus. If we live, our life is Christ. And if we die, we know we'll be part of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. This is what it says in Acts 2.46. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. This is now the, the, uh, the Christians. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with gladness and sincerity of heart. They ate together with gladness and sincerity of heart. You get this idea of simple people just eating their meals. They were happy. They were happy. Remember, these people were under dictators, man. They didn't have democracy. So I want to say to you, if you think that you're losing your democracy, most democratic countries, whenever there is an election, the thing we're fighting for is we don't want to lose our democracy. This is what happens in South Africa, what happens in America and most countries. We don't want to lose our democracy to uh, some form of a dictatorship or to something like communism or socialism or something like that. That's what people fear all the time. But let me tell you something. Here was absolute dictatorship, nothing like a uh, 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 what we have today, a democracy or anything like that. And it's written here, listen to this, that the church broke bread in their homes and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts. These people were happy in their hearts under dictators. Under dictators where these people, you know, if you just read two chapters on, were told not to preach the resurrection of Jesus Christ. They were praising God and enjoying the favor of all people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Isn't that absolutely powerful? Look at the simplicity here. 1 Timothy 6, and then in one other verse, 1 Timothy 6. I'm going to look at how we get this right, how this manifests. Listen to 1 Timothy 6 um, and verse from verse 7. Now, let, let us read from uh, verse, verse 6. It says, But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, and we can take nothing out. But if we have food and clothes, we will be content with that. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and into a trap and into many foolish and hurtful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. Isn't that like, Lord, this sounds so anti what we've always heard. But this is the robust life. This is the life where you cannot be controlled. This is the life where your yes is your yes and your no is your no. And this life is not a dis- made, it comes your way by a decision you make. This life comes forth by a revelation of what God has given you. I just want to read um, verse 5 here. It says, there are some of these people that are in con- constant friction between people and they are of corrupt minds, which have been robbed of the truth and who think that godliness is a means of financial gain. In other words, if we're godly, that means we must now gain financially. It's a must. 
what is a must is that when godliness comes and you and that is combined with the fruit of contentment that is called great gain so how do we gain as Christians how do we gain as people how do we become rich we can become rich with a revelation that Jesus was raised from the dead that he bodily lives forever that his spirit is poured out on us bodily from there we have the hope of eternal life and we eternal life even physically and although we still see our bodies decay, we've got the hope of eternal life. But the spirit that will raise us from the dead already brings the life you will live should you be bodily immortal, where you will not care if anything is added unto you, already now to you. And from that mindset you live. Imagine you can have a life where you feel, I don't need things to be added unto me to be happy and that you are happy. Isn't that what all people want? Most people want money and the things of this world so that they can have happiness. But happiness can be in you without those things on account of the nature of God that is born into you supernaturally. It's not, it is a gift. It's not a decision. It's a fruit of a belief in Jesus. That is what it is, and I thank God for that. I'll take that above money any time. I just want to say something about the rich. Um, I'm very grateful to people that it is, it wasn't poor people that bought my house paid for my TV studios and those kind of things. It was people that were financially rich. And if you're financially rich, we've got different people watching this. We've got poor people watching this message and rich people watching this message. It's not a sin to be financially prosperous. No, in the church, we're going to find rich people. We're going to find poor people. Some of the rich people are going to be rich. And this riches is the blessing that God has blessed them with in the sense that they could just be good business people, man. That is just the way it is. And there are other people that are maybe not good business people. And there are people that can just, they, are, they can do a good job and they are faithful in working in other businesses. And the one, one hand washes the other hand. And should both parties be content, we will find what is said here. It says, but you man of God, uh, excuse me, I want to go to verse... Um, Verse 17, it says, command those that are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment, and also tell them to be abundant in good deeds and to give and to share with others. Can you see the simplicity wherewith Paul handles this? It's just simple. It is, listen, those who have been financially provided for, just like the poor, don't let the poor people think, well, uh, life is in riches, and don't let the rich think that life is in riches. But the life is inside Jesus Christ. That is what it is. And the beautiful thing is, rich and poor can say, I am rich. I am rich. And then we can have a, another definition of riches wherein he says that those who are rich in 
this world, talking about the things of this world. So you can be rich, but it doesn't mean you're rich in the things of this world. Therefore, don't judge yourself as a believer in Jesus Christ, as a poor Christian that cannot care for their friends, or for their kids, and so forth. You know, I've seen people that live in utter guilt because they cannot buy their kids the latest and the best stuff. And they feel condemned. And they raise their kids in, a, in, in, in that environment. And those kids also feel in their hearts that they lack. No. The best thing that there is for a child is that which is robust, which is contentment. Hallelujah. Happy with, uh, with, with a gospel bringing forth fruit in you that even if you just have food and clothes, you're happy. That's fine. You might say, but Betty, that kind of a life, I don't know. It just doesn't sound normal. It is not normal. It is abnormal. It is a life that can only be born from God, man. Glory to God. And I'm ending off with Colossians 2. It says, since you have died with Christ, this is verse 20, to the elemental spiritual forces of this world, elemental spiritual forces, I would also translate it as the forces of this world whereby people live, which we've been discussing now all the time. Why, as though you are still belonging to the world, do you submit to its rules? Do not handle, do not touch, do not taste. These rules which have to do with things that are all designed to perish with a use based on merely human commands and teachings. We can just take this. This is a bit out of context. I'm using the scripture out of its original context, but I want to use it this way. We as the church, we as those who are the possessors of eternal life, we are rich. We don't have to become rich. We are rich. I am not enriched by the political atmosphere that I am in. I'm enriched by the fact that I have a Lord over me, which is Jesus, the Christ, who has promised me eternal life. And I am the heir of the kingdom of God, which shall only fully manifest in physical manifestation when Jesus appear. Then who I really am will also appear. Glory to God. And then it says here, um, so what it basically says is, why shall we live by the principles of this world on what is rich and what is poor and those kind of things and teach our children that rubbish? Don't teach your child that success is, success is found and how good his business is, man. That is troublesome. Um, take these things, let it be true in your heart, and you'll find you automatically bring to your children uh, the message of contentment and so forth. And I want to say this. If your kids are already out of the house and those kind of things, it's not too late. I don't say go and force your beliefs down on them, but they will just see the fruit that's in your life because they could have they could have seen all your life how you were stressed about certain things and now how this contentment settles in your heart and that can still be a voice to them. 
Amen. So don't say it's too late. And another thing I want to say is you also need to know that you cannot carry the burden of them all on your shoulders because God is also their God and God speaks to them. Last verse. Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your heart on the things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things that is above, not the things of the earth. For you have died and your life, the true you, is now hidden in the resurrected Jesus Christ that's at the right hand of God. And when Christ, who is your life, will appear, then the real you will appear with him in glory. Hallelujah. Amen and amen. I trust that this encourages you. All I wanted to say is, in this world, there can be difficult times, but we are not defined by it. We have the resurrected Jesus. Our hearts, our belief systems, and our mind is directed towards the physical, immortal Jesus who lives forever. And we don't see him now. He is in heaven and he will appear. And yet we now have this treasure of eternal life in a earthen vessel that doesn't show it yet. But this eternal life that we possess shall be revealed even in our bodies when Jesus Christ is revealed. All that I'm saying is keep your eyes on what is real and what is real is Jesus Christ. Amen, amen. Thank you so much that I could minister to you.